Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown. We are in season two and today, like every episode, I have got a killer guest for you guys. I've got Dave Seymour with me. Dave is working, most of his stuff is in Florida, but as you'll learn very quickly from his accent, he's not quite from Florida. He's not a he's not an original <laughs> one. So he's like a lot of people that have immigrated into Florida lately, but I, I think he's got bigger roots than that. So guys, Help me welcome to the Real Estate Rundown, my buddy, Dave Seymour. Dave, how are you, man? Oh. Hold on. I'm giving myself a round of applause. Hold on there, Shannon. Hold on. Did there. I do a good enough job for you, man? I wanted to make oh, sure the that... crowd's going crazy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's funny, brother. I, I definitely, uh, I'm definitely a mutt. You know what I mean? I, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a pick me up and place me over there kind of guy. I'm from, I'm from, I was born in London. Not many people know that. I'm actually uh I'm an immigrant to the States. I came over in 1986. There was no yeah. walls up back then. You could come in a lot free. Well, you know, and, and I mean, at least, I mean, there were some other guys that came over in the Mayflower too. They kind of started this whole mess, right? So, you well, know. Yeah. yeah one and more. then there was What's those jerks. Who, right. They, they threw the tea in the harbor up yeah, here in Boston, and then it got yeah. a little shitty after that. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, it's all good. It's all good. So, so Dave, where are you at now? What are you doing? So... Look, long story short, I don't know whether you're familiar or even anybody else. We did that TV show up here called Flipping Boston. I was heavily uh -huh. invested in the single family stuff. Yeah, we did the reality TV show. And what that did was, um, you know, it definitely put me in a position where, you know, you get the, you get the exposure of a, of a national expert. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. First of all, you could be a complete nut donkey, but just because you either have a book or you've been on a TV show, you're perceived as an expert, right? And I'm speaking from I'm speaking from fact, right? You could be a complete and utter donkey, but you know you're, you got a TV show and you must know everything, right? Well, I mean, come on, we got we got uh, this place called Washington D.C. that's full of donkeys and elephants. Oh can't yeah, make sense of it all, right? Yeah, you do. We we don't go we don't go down that road. So no politics, so, okay? No, no, we we try to keep it to real estate. That's complex enough, right? The next stop, yeah, right. Uh, topic we want to tackle after we master real estate is what makes women tick and then we'll go to politics i think we'll uh, i think we'll kind of go in that hour but you were on that you were on that tv show yeah. uh, that got you a little bit of notoriety you kind of brought yeah. that to the next level what are you doing now so post covid so covid obviously through through a massive uh spanner in the works as we say back home in england you call it a wrench we call it a spanner at that time, pre-COVID, um, I just finished building out a, a pretty substantial hard money lending business for, for non-QM one to four. Mm -hmm. And uh, the business was firing fantastic, Shannon. I mean, we were, you know, we had uh, seven or eight loan originators. I uh, had probably 15 million in the pipe. And then COVID hit and we all went, oh, my God, threw our hands up and uh, everything shut down, as we know. Right. But what that did was, was it put my hard money lending business out of business because I was relying on a line of credit 
And then my notes were getting purchased by Wall Street and Wall Street stopped doing everything. It was a crazy time there for about six months. Um, you know, blessing and a curse, depending on how you look at it. And post-COVID coming out of that, you know, I was blessed enough to not have to rely on trading time for money. So I didn't have to worry about incomes. I had reserves and residuals. I could rebuild the next business. Uh, what we did was, was I reconnected with a real good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Walter Novicki. Uh, Walter's been down in the Cape Coral, Florida market for geez, 30 years. Started in Ohio with student housing. He's been a developer, a builder, a, you know, a, a mortgage company. But Walter was um, heavy into uh, development and multifamily in the, in the Cape Coral, Fort Myers market. So you got a couple of old war dogs, you know, shooting yeah. the breeze. What's next? What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly, what could possibly go, go wrong? Go wrong? <laughs> you know what's interesting, Shannon? Just as a little sidebar, I don't know how short along your podcast is, but um, Walter is ex-military. He was special Oh, even forces. better, right? And, so I, this- and I, I was a firefighter and a paramedic. So when we talk about what can go wrong, nothing. Yeah. We've seen yeah. what can go wrong. So this, sounds like that, this sounds like that, uh, you know, a priest, a rabbi, and... Dave and Walter <laughs> yeah. walk into a bar, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Sounds like that kind of story. So you and Walter reconnected. What, what kind of trouble did you guys stir up? So we're doing multifamily, ground-up construction, development in Fort Myers, Cape Coral area, as well as repositioning. Nice. So we'll take a, a multifamily asset, B-class, you know, in need of a little love and attention. You either reposition the tenant base, you reposition the property, uh, reposition the image, uh, get your property management squared away raise the rents a little bit, you know, get rid of the cockroaches and the cellar dwellers, upgrade the asset, increase the NOI, make more money. It's not complicated. It just takes a lot of work to get it done, right? Yeah. So are you guys doing uh, light rehab? You doing heavy lift on that? What, what are you doing? So it depends. So look, it's interesting. If you look at the last deal we did, uh, just as a little case study, is a 14-unit acquisition in West Palm Beach. That came to us fully rehabbed, but zero tenants. And it was interesting right. because the, the rehabber, didn't have the skill set to tenant and manage. We obviously did. So in a, in a four-cap market, uh, we purchased the property for $2 million cash, uh, syndicated with accredited investors, mm-hmm. bought the whole thing cash with their money, tenanted the building in less than 90 days above right. pro forma market rents. Now in, K, in, uh, in West Palm Beach, you know, the going cap rate's anywhere between a three and a half and a four. Right. It's worth $3.2 million, and we did that in 90 days. Right. So then you then you refinance that, repay your tenant, repay your yeah. your syndicator capital capital, and then uh, you you are you holding that for the next ten years, or what, what's your plan with no, that? No, I can I can put that value to work and, at a higher rate of return than just holding on to it. We like to turn yeah. the capital over. So yeah. that one there, you're right. Refinance at the one year mark, fully reimburse the uh, the um, uh, the syndicated capital, but they stay in the deal for one more year. Then refinance or sale at the two year mark. That's uh, that's like a, a 1.5, 1.6 over yeah. two years. Nice yep. little cash on cash IRR. I mean, the IRRs are ridiculous because it's only running for a couple of years, you know. So, right, right. No, and and you know that's where that's where you know I, I've often found Dave that you get really two different kinds of investors. You got those that want the appreciation. So I always tell mm-hmm. them how much I care about them, right? Yeah. But they yep. want that other kind of appreciation too. But then you've got the guy that wants the cash flow. You know, and you really definitely need two different types in your deals because just like you found, if you go to someone like my dad who's looking for cash flow, he's not going to like your deal. It doesn't matter how ridiculous the IRR is. He wants money every month, right? He's looking for motorhome fuel and dog food to go see the world 
And uh, that's what him and mom need, right? I mean, yeah. dog food's yeah. for the dog, you know, the motorhome. And, that's just to clarify, right? But, <laughs> but you know, so so you get the two different kinds of investors. Now, are you doing stuff that you're holding on to longer than that, 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 that gets your cash flow for your people? Yeah, yeah, we are. Some of the assets, um, it, we started to see the compression of the cap rate in the marketplace. So instead of going in and buying, you know, as is cash flow and, Praying on a ten-year run to increase the NOI and the cash, which is what look, look, man. Let's just be zero degrees on this shit, will you? Yeah. We bring yeah. in right accredited investor capital. That's people's right. retirement accounts, their yep. dreams, their hopes, their family. Yep. I got a responsibility, brother. Absolutely. I can't sleep at night if I'm selling them on on you know ten-year hopes. So for us, I like a deal that cash flows on the way in. Yeah, let's get cash flow on the way in. But at the same time, I want to offer appreciation not only in the exit three to five years, but let's appreciate that cash flow as well. So I'm right. not buying A-class properties, you know, that are a 3% return or a three cap. It's not in my it's not in my business model to do that. But what we found was, which is why we moved back over to some of Walter's skill sets in development was, is I can build cash flow, yeah. uh, you know, pretty fast in Florida. It's all yeah. cinder blocks and stucco. Those bad boys throw those blocks up. You've got a bunker. You make the outside pretty, the inside pretty. You're tenant it up. You're done and dusted, as we used to say back in London, right? Yeah. Um, something like that. I can build a cash-flowing asset for my LP capital 12 months, 18 yep. months, yep. right? And give them a piece of the uh, the profit on the back end. So it's well, a and then, approach and then, when it comes to You know, to Dave, the other side of that is, you know, you and I kind of come from the same world there. I mean, I've been in construction and development for 28 years. You know, my listeners know that background about me. Yeah. But what I, you know, build into an eight cap's an easy deal. You just right. got to have the right kind of people. And then if you wind up in a situation like 08, right? Mm -hmm. If you're done mm -hmm. and dusted, I like that. I'm going to keep that. You uh, if you're done that. and dusted and all of a sudden the market starts to go the other direction on you, you're not in a bad position, right? right. You are you are tenetizing at the market and maybe you're not going to make a 1.4 a, a or 1.6 in 12 months, but you're in a great position because you're not the guy down the street to just paid a four cap for something that's trying to right. press the rents and and now there's nothing to press right there's nothing there's there's no forced equity there right i look i look for opportunities to be a passive investor as well as you know the gp side of our active investments right 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 and i look i i'd, I'd like to ask the question not tell you for me i walk away from 100 opportunities to do one yeah. And early in my career, I'd look back at some of the stuff I walked away from and I go, oh, man, they killed it. Right. They scored like a like a crazy man on that deal. Yeah. But I always I always factor in again, man, I my number one job and I would say your number one job is to be a custodian of other people's capital. Right. And that's the part that a lot of people don't understand. When you step into that GP role, Dave, you are so right. You are you are holding their hopes and dreams. You're holding mm -hmm. the sweat off their back. Mm -hmm. And and their goal, and, and really, as you found out, as you you know, know, they're not investing in you totally for the IRR. They're investing in you because they believe you. Yes. They they, yes. they trust you. And and there's a I wouldn't say that there's a lot of people out there, but you know, there's a there's a lot of people that don't have the reverence for the capital that uh, that it that it deserves. But when you do have that you really have that person's unlimited trust, 
right? And, and you have that unlimited responsibility that says, I don't care how bad this goes or how good this goes. My number one goal is to make this thing happen until I die. Mm. Right? Look, there's, it's, it's a buyer beware scenario, right? Some of the biggest names that we could talk about in syndication and capital raising and deployment in multifamily acquisitions. I know some of those, those names. I know them personally. Um, because of being that guy from TV, I get right. invited into certain, you know, environments that the average syndicator probably wouldn't get an opportunity, right? I've shared stages, investment stages and seminar stages with some of the big names. And when you get to talk to them one-on-one, you can really find out their true heart. And when a yeah. guy says, you know, I don't care, it's all about me. When yeah. a guy says my objective on every single uh, interaction I have is where's my money, right, dude? Yeah, I don't like you. You're not my my. You're not my Huckleberry. Like yeah. I get it. I know that this is a, you know, it's a um, it's it's an aggressive business, right? I get right. that. I'm fully aware yeah. of that. But you know what? I am not going to leave collateral damage behind me because right. I am overly aggressive. I could promise you the freaking stars and the moon and everything else, but. I haven't lost a dime of investor capital in the 15 years I've been in business. So I ain't going to stop now. That's, that's no, my, my take. And, and that's, and that's the track record you're really looking for. You know, it, it, I mean, you're, you're going to have deals that go better than other deals. You're going to have deals that don't go well at all, but what are you doing with that trust and with those being the custodian of that capital? And what are you, what are you doing to put that right? Let's, yeah. let's kind of shift gears a little bit. And I wanted to clarify before we move off this topic, when you say that guy from TV, we just want to clarify that was from Flipping Boston, not Cops, right? <laughs> actually, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was actually America's Most Wanted. <laughs> I knew I recognized you. Uh, boy, anyway, God, man, we're having too much fun here, Dave. But let's, uh, let's shift gears for a minute and let's talk about what has happened in your market because you're in Florida. Yeah. It's your main market. And you guys have had massive... COVID yeah. migration, what has that really done to your to the reality of your market and, yeah. and to the to the, the reality? I mean, the reality is your market's growing. What does that mean? But also, mm. what is the perception of what, what's happening in your market, right? So there's less, less statistics that we pulled. There's 1,500 people a day uh, are moving to, to Florida, wow. 1,500, right? Wow. It's still the number one retirement destination in the United States of America. I think Arizona comes in um, um, a slow second. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what does that mean? Well, statistics also show us that for every one retiree, it creates four service jobs, either in healthcare, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. Or if you go to Florida, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Golf cart repairs, <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Um, we, we should probably be a little bit kinder. We're not that far behind them. <laughs> we ain't that far behind them, brother. We ain't that far behind I think I need a little more Botox. Um, yeah, yeah. It, we're not that far behind them. But but what that does is it creates an incredibly dynamic market. And look, my skill set is not underwriting dynamics and stats and all of that stuff. I got an excellent couple of partners who deal with all of that. So I take everything from a big picture. But basically, it says there are way too many people looking for affordable housing, right? And I'm not talking low income, you know, like the challenged housing that we, right. we know about. I'm not talking about C minus D plus assets. I'm talking about good, clean, safe, um, tight, uh, you know, affordable housing. So if you go into the market right now and try and find an asset at the six, seven cap buy side, 
looking to reposition, force it up to a 10. It doesn't exist because the amount of capital that is in the market that has just flooded Florida, it's ridiculous. I mean, our strike prices a year ago, we positioned over to, to development. Our strike prices a year ago, we had these insurance groups that were coming in and, and doubling our offer. Um, 500,000 hard in 24 hours, right? 5,000 hard in 24 hours, and we only need two weeks due diligence. What, are you kidding me? I can't I, compete with that. But, Forget but, it. But then when you look at the competition, are they really competing with you? Are they really doing proper due diligence? Are they really being a prudent a uh, custodian of the insurer's money if they're willing to throw $500,000 hard in 24 hours? You know what? I asked the same questions, but they're still doing it, Shannon. Yeah. So. No, and that's where we have to – I mean, I've run into the same situations you have where you just kind of have to back off the throttle a little bit and walk away from some of these deals because in all reality, that's the reality I'm talking about. The reality is just nuts. You can't do that with your people's money or with mm-hmm. your – you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody said this the other day, you know, uh, I treat my investors' money like it's my money. And I said, oh, geez, man, I treat my investors' money better than I treat my money because I know there's credit card, there's stuff on my credit card that I forgot to cancel two months ago. And I don't do that with my investors' money, right? Right. But that's what it is. They're coming in and they're throwing $500,000 of their investors' money at a deal in 24 hours that's non-refundable. Does that force them to go forward with the deal? Or does it force them to admit a loss and then go harder at another one? Right. So here's to, to your point, and I love this conversation. And I pre- look, man, I appreciate uh, commonality, but I also appreciate a difference of opinion as well. Right. That's a good so, one. We've, we've lost that in America. We have, haven't we? We have. Are you red or blue? So I look at I look at these acquisitions at these three caps, these these large uh, investment groups that are coming in, and the reason that they do it is is their capital basis is so strong. They can absorb those losses for three to five years and still make, you know, the capital they need to make because of the size of their capital pool and the multiple investments that they're in. But here's what I also know. When the pain gets too strong, they'll have to do something. And that's when you and I will be standing there, you know, three, five years from now with a track record that's proven, a database of investors that love what we do, and we'll be taking back some of these assets that they've picked up because they can't feel the pain anymore. We yeah. saw it in 2005, six, seven, and eight. All the Californian investors were over here on the East Coast in Boston and New York and uh, you know buying up everything because real estate can only go up. It can never go down. That was the mindset. And we, and we got into a tsunami of, of discounted assets. Right. I could be wrong, brother. Shannon, I, I haven't got a crystal ball, but when I look at fundamentals first, and I see deviation from fundamentals, I see massive opportunities in the very near future, whatever that may be. But, you know, we're, we're all doing the best we can with, with the information that we have, right? Right, right. So let's talk about fundamentals. Let's talk about what all of these stimulus packages have done to the fundamentals, right? I mean, I heard a statistic the other day, and I actually checked it out. 40% of the U.S. dollars in circulation on balance sheets today did not exist 26 months ago. Yeah. Did not exist. Yeah. And it doesn't matter which president you like. They both created something, right? Again, we sure. don't talk politics on here. We just we just look at the reality. If 40% of the money floating around in our economy is mm-hmm. new, mm-hmm. what did it do to the other 60% that have been hanging out here for a while? Mm-hmm. And what kind mm-hmm. of impact is that going to have on rents, 
sales prices, uh, cap rates. What's it going to do to all that? It's going to create a false economy. This is an opinion. I'm not an economist, right? I'm a blue collar guy in a white collar world, brother. But it creates right. a false economy of comfort. And what's going to happen, in my opinion, is this. All of that free money that came into the marketplace, and I'm going to talk about the EDIL, not so much about the, 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 um, the, the uh, payroll protection, the PPP. Those were smaller amounts of capital. But that EDI capital, that emergency relief capital, that was substantial, right? It was pretty big. And it came, in, it came into the marketplace for business owners and entrepreneurs who had a track record and tax returns to support the loans, which a lot of us have. Right. And looking at that and then looking at the term. So the term is 18 months, no payments. And then it goes into a three, three and a half percent on the capital, 30 year fixed. Now, one can look at that and go, wow, that's fantastic. That's free money. No, it's not free money. If you haven't been able to reestablish yourself fully in your business, whatever it may be, it's going to create M&A opportunities that I think are going to be unheard of. And it's also going to create massive opportunities in commercial real estate because a lot of that capital has now gone into there and now they got this extra bill pay that they didn't have before. Everybody wants to own real estate, right? Yeah. We all know it's, a, it's one of the pillars of long-term wealth. So false economy is my perception. And, I, and I'll back it up with, with one commentary. I was hanging out with a friend of mine called Richard Davis. He, uh, he owns a large uh, investment real estate investment uh, company down in, um, in uh, South Carolina. And we were driving around, we were looking at stuff, et cetera. And we were having this exact same discussion. And he says, you know what I see, Dave? He says, I see exactly the same thing I saw right after the last hurricane came through here. He said, right after the hurricane, everybody was driving Mercedes Benz and BMWs. And the ladies had nice, expensive pocketbooks. You know, he's embellishing. But his point was, it was a false economy because of all the emergency money that yeah. came into Charleston after the last hurricane. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to see the same thing. So fundamentals, transference of goods and services for capital needs to get back on point. Well, you know, and I, I use the analogy. I was asking, having a similar conversation with a friend of mine yesterday at lunch. And, and I said, hey, I said, you know, is this, are we heading into the place like it was, you know, we've all heard the story after World War II where it took a wheelbarrow full of Deutschmarks to buy a loaf of bread, you know? Right. Because the, the, the Deutschmark wasn't worth anything, right? Are we headed right. to that place? And he says, well, no, in World War II, they were stupid. They kept going to the baker with a wheelbarrow load of bread. He says what they should have done was beat the guy up and stole the wheelbarrow. <laughs> I said, man, I said, you have got it figured out. It's the wheelbarrow because then you could go make a living. And he goes, no, you could sell it, man. So I guess I had everything wrong. But I do agree that with that inflationary period, you know, prices are going to go up. And, and people are going, man, my house is worth $700,000. Your house is still three-bedroom, two-bath. It's still a shelter. It so will trade at, at what it is. It will not ever be. Your house is not going to all of a sudden go, hey, I'm a four-bedroom. Well, you know, the, so did the value of your asset go up or did the value of what you're trading for that asset go down? And we're also seeing a lot of that push into real estate to protect that That's at, at quote-unquote any cost that now when you go to go back from, you know, because you're trading dollars for real estate. And when you try to go back from real estate to dollars mm -hmm. at some point in the future is where you're going to wind up hitting that wall because you overpaid that inflationary magic money is de depreciated, de uh, depleted. Yep. And now you're back to a real 
dollar cost average of what the asset's worth, and you're the one sitting there with no seat and the music stopped. It's it's such an interesting conversation, brother. It really is because it's you know you got macro, micro, and everything, right? Right. Uh, micro microeconomics by zip code are so interesting to really drill down into them. You know, what are we all doing, right? Really, at the end of the day, what what is the game plan? What's what's the exit strategy, right? right. You know, we're all gonna we're all gonna take that dirt nap one day. What did we leave behind us? How good was the journey to get there? And, you know, there's that old saying that, uh, what is it? It's being um, house poor, right? Yeah. The mortgage on the property. And everybody is no longer house poor. They've got this this equity in the home. And look, I was a rehabber for years, construction for years. I love it when this market shows up because everybody, everybody wants to throw the imaginary money back into the house, right? Right. So, you know, builders are busy, construction's busy. Try getting the guy to come and, you know, hang wallpaper in your kitchen if that's your thing. You can't right. find him anymore. But to, right. give you, to give you that micro example, I'm like you, right? We're investors. Mm-hmm. I look at it as sticks and bricks and yep. capital opportunities. Right. And um, my business blew up in, 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 um, in, in Florida. I mean, all my actions down there. I'm up here in the freezing cold in Boston and, and my guys are all working down in Florida. So I went home. I don't know, we'll call it six months ago. And I walk in the door, I go, baby, baby girl, where are you? She says, what's up, honey? I says, I got great news. She yeah. said, I said, we're selling the house. We're selling the house. The idiot up the street just paid 1.4 million for the house. We're selling. Let's go, baby, go. Yeehaw. I got a million dollars. Because you and I can work a million dollars and make it $3 million. Yeah. We know how to do that. Yeah. And she looked at me and the tears started coming down her eyes. I thought she was so happy. They were tears of misery. She was miserable. I'm like, what's the matter? She goes, you can't sell my house. The kids are in school. So it's all about the emotional attachment. Right. Right? I'd love to tell you, I said, no, we're selling. Do as I do as I say. But she's well, the no, I know. I noticed, I noticed you're still alive. This would be, you know, if, if you'd have sold the house, uh, this would be an interview from the beyond, right? Yeah. I'd, be, I'd have but to get my it's Ouija perception. board out. It's yeah. all perception. You know, she's the rock that I get to stand on so I can look cool. She makes all the decisions. Yeah. But it's like, you know, this this influx of, of it's, it's not free money. It's always got to go somewhere. Money wants to move, right? Right. So you got that massive movement of capital into the marketplace from stimulus packages and COVID relief, et cetera, et cetera. And it creates a sense of false security. It really does. I would much rather see a marketplace where people were really haggling over goods and services. Right. Rather like you can pay $4,000 over sticker for a Ford F-150 right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the stick, we, and we know the stickers inflated too, because we've never paid sticker before in our lives. Right. Isn't that crazy? Right. But you know, here's the funny thing, Dave, when you look at what you're talking about and I, and I agree with you. Right. But when we came through 08, yeah. Everybody stopped building houses, but they didn't yeah. stop having kids and people didn't stop graduating high school and they didn't stop getting married and they didn't stop. Well, a lot of them stopped moving out of their mom's basement and they stayed there for the next five or 10 years. But the reality is we're, uh, we're somewhere between seven and nine million housing units short today. Yes. yes. So how are you going to haggle when you're seven to nine million housing units short 
And a lot of people found out that lockdown was 7 million of their closest friends isn't their idea of a good time, and they're now leaving where they're at, where they have a perfectly good home, moving to somewhere that they like that has a shortage already, creating an additional shortage, and you throw inflated money in there. Look, here's, here's my answer to that. You know, Go out and make money and, and worry about it later. Put money to work and wait. Yeah. Wait. Stop it, stupid. It's not the time to buy. Right. Right. I've had friends and family locally and they're like, Dave, uh, you know, I'm in a I'm in a bidding price on this this freaking house. And I'm like, you're buying at the top of the market. No, no. My realtor told me it's going to go up next year. No shit, Sherlock. Of course, your realtor told you that they want to do the deal. Right. They're they're not writing the check. Right. So for me, it's it's hard. If if Mary Beth, my, my beautiful bride, had agreed that day, I'd have taken a million dollars in equity. And I'd have put it to work in passive investments. I'd have rented a nice little something, something down in Florida. The boys would have assimilated into Florida schools. We'd be sitting at the swimming pool instead of freezing our, uh, you know, what skis off up here in Boston now, right now. Dave, this, this is being recorded. She will see those comments. I just. Oh, it's okay. Man. She <laughs> loves me no matter what. No. I, figure, <laughs> I figure if when I come through the door. My wife still comes towards me and my kids don't run away from me. I figure I'm still doing, I'm still doing right, something right. right. You know but I mean? you know, you, you did put something to work, you know, but, but here's the other side of that. And this is what a lot of people, you know, don't understand in, in, is that your house isn't an asset because right. your house is a consumed item. You are the one eating it. Right. So I mean, I, yeah. I did the same thing two years ago. I sold my home. I don't own a home. I own a lot of apartments, but I don't yep. own a home. I rent a home, right? I rent, rent an apartment. I, I got a really nice place, right? But uh, nobody and nobody's worried about me being homeless. But the but the reality is, is I'm looking at the same thing, going, man, I can put my my stuff to work that will make me more income that allows me to pick where I want to live, how I want to live, and I can let the other guy make a decent return off of me. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm making that money make money, right? And because this is this economy isn't going to be here forever. This economy, look, here's, here's my take on it. This economy right now, Shannon, is screaming, absolutely screaming for what's called horizontal income, right? Mm-hmm. We all know what vertical income is. Everybody goes out, gets a job, trades time for money, and they hope they get a 3% raise every year and they don't get beat out on a promotion, right? right. Maximize the ceiling on trading time for money. Yep. Doctors, lawyers, they're still trading time for money, right? If they don't work, they don't get paid. Yep. Whereas this market right now, if that, you know, free flowing capital, that 40% that you described, right. if that was working in vertical, uh, in, um, uh, in horizontal um, income streams, right. that's where the magic begins to happen. So what is that? Absolutely. That's investing in an apartment, investing in a business, uh, buying a piece of a franchise, whatever it is yeah. that, that creates yeah. income while you're not working. And none of us were ever taught that. I didn't get no. it in my London education. I don't think you got it in high school. They don't even no. teach you in college. No. So, you know, that's what separates the, you know, the, the, the class structure that we're in today is that knowledge of can you create, can you make money while you're sleeping, right, is really right. The, the premise we're looking for. And now's the time to do that. And, you know, this is the thing, especially when we're seeing 7% inflation and 3% oh, interest Lord. rates, right? Right. Right. So, and, and we're going to argue about whether or not we only have 7%, right? How can you have 7% inflation with gas doubles and lumber triples, right? I, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't run those calculators. But, but if you've got 7% inflation and 3% interest, 
you're borrowing the money today and paying back in yeah. inflated dollars, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're sure. you're going to get more from that inflated period for the rent that you're going to then take and peel off the set amount and pay back with. But here's the other thing too: people go, "Well, I can't get a I can't get a line of credit on my house." That's what happened in '08. No, what happened in 08 is everybody got a line of credit on their house, went and bought a boat and a ski machine and, right. and uh, you know, then, then a vacation home in Florida. They created more liability that required mm -hmm. them to pay it, that they were that vertical income that needed to come down from here and go into there. If you're taking that out and you're reinvesting and you're putting a, aside a reserve account, right? I mean, we saw when COVID happened, everybody, all the banks said, hey, we got to double your reserve account. What, from nothing to something? Yeah. You know? We were yeah. all swimming naked in that area. A lot of people were when it came to reserve accounts. So like you said, a nice horizontal income that is reusing the equity that you already have to reposition so that now you may have a million for value in your home, but your other assets are paying you for that, paying that payment. So now you can go have your life like you want, right? I Somebody said to me one time, um, the cost of capital is far less important than access to capital. Yeah. Right? That's a Whereas, good Whereas, you, you know what I'm saying? Like we, yeah. we are we are groomed, most of us. There's a select few that aren't, and you know, they don't have the skill sets that you and I have. But right. you know, most of us are groomed that high interest is bad. Most of us are groomed that debt is bad. And yeah, I look at it today, and it's been, you know, it's been a, a metamorphosis from my blue-collar world to the to the world I live in today. Right. But I look at it today, um, example, let's go back to the EDIL money, right? If yep. you can take uh, economic relief capital from your business at 3%, you know, paying in 18 months, if you don't have that vertical skill set, sorry, that horizontal skill set, right, right, to put that money to work, you shouldn't take it. Right. You don't deserve it. You don't right. have the skill set or the intelligence to put it to work, right? right. But- right. What if I took a half a million dollars in economic relief money? I called up Shannon. I said, Shannon, what do you got on deck right now for investments? He says, oh, I got man. a sweet little, you know, 40-unit complex. We're doing a slight reposition on it. You know, uh, there's a cash-on-cash cash return targeted out of 8 to 10%. You got 15% IRR over a three-year hold. And Wait I think there's still so Are you in my email? <laughs> Imagine that. I only describe deals worth investing in. You got a couple, I got a couple, right? That's right. That's right. That for a second. I put yeah. that 500 to work right. in your deal. I got to trust you, know you, love you like I do to know that you can put that, that capital to work. And then that, that money is now working. And where did the freaking money come from? It came from me in the first place because I right. paid taxes for the past God knows how many years. Right. And yet, you know, that, that mentality of cars, boats, leather coats, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, getting a new car every year, making right. sure you get a big shiny watch. It's all garbage, man. It's right. all garbage. Well, Work it, the money, right? And and it's especially that way if 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 you have to be the one that has to go out and actually physically do the work for that watch, right? Or that boat, right. or that car, right? right? right. right. It's right. another thing if now you've invested in in a deal and that deal is now paying for that car payment. That deal is now paying for. You know the That's other thing, and yes. and it's creating you tax relief also because you have the beautiful value of depreciation that comes with real estate, yeah. right? I so, got a I I got a friend to your point, right? You love this. I got a friend. He's a um a high end watch, uh, freak. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. probably got three four million dollars in watches. That's his uh, thing. Yeah. You know what he does? He buys them in his self directed IRA. 
<laughs> so he bought, listen, he buys for, for yeah. real. He buys yeah. them in his retirement account. Yeah. Knowing that they're an appreciating asset. Right. And I'm like, well, how do you get to wear them? He said, I'm allowed to take them out of the IRA, service them, clean them, wind them, change the batteries. Yeah. So like the intelligence of, of wealth oriented individuals is such a different mindset from most, right? Well, here's here's another thing too. There's a there's a couple of companies out there right now that you can rent the watch. Okay. Now, as as crazy as you think it is to rent the watch, that's not the argument to have because there's people out there that will rent the watch to look like they have a ten thousand dollar Rolex, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing: if you are the investor, you're going to go out and you're going to buy a million dollars worth of watches that you love, mm -hmm. and you're going to wear what's not being rented, and you're going to depreciate those watches year one, right? Because they're a yeah. tool in your business. So you're going to write off your business assets. People are going to rent them. You're going to have this business that you're just, you're the model. Now, we could argue that somebody could have found a better looking model than me. But at the same time, there's a way for an entrepreneur yeah. to find a way to make what they want pay for itself, right? Yes. I do always. the same thing with airplanes, if you believe that. I mean, I, I, I have. Uh, really? Yeah. My, my partner, Walter, does it with boats down in Florida. Yeah. All you got to do is find a way to make a business out of what you love, right? And whether that's chartering the boat, you know, getting people to rent the boat, Airbnb the boat, however you want to do it. You know, I, I have a flight school that teaches people how to fly. It creates great uh, depreciation. It creates passive yeah. income for my investors. It's a great me mechanism, but it's about yeah. being an entrepreneur and finding a way to take what you love, create that horizontal income, yeah. that now what you love isn't something that costs you money it's something that makes you money and allows you to enjoy it right you know dude this is so freaking good like these moments right now yeah i forgot totally about podcasting and all of that stuff that we're doing right now yeah i was like so in the zone because right. you're, you're talking my language right it's a couple right. of guys who yeah. understand the topic of conversation right. to an nth degree and right. it's like I'm going to start Googling airplanes and boats and watches. Let me just run this scenario for you. This is what Walter does. He buys a $100,000 boat, right? Yep. Now, in boats, you, you don't even have to put 20% down. You could get away with 5 or 10% down, right? You're yep. going to get a 5% yep. interest rate, okay? If you lease that boat to somebody else at 8% of cost, okay? So you got a $100,000 boat. You're going to lease it to them for $8,000 a year. That's a pretty yep. inexpensive payment. But it's going to cover yours because yours is 5%. Now you're going to put, let's say you put $10,000 down. But you put that into service in a business and you depreciate the hundred grand. The IRS says, hey, Dave, you're in the 37% tax bracket. Here's a check back that you don't have to pay us a $37,000. So you put in 10, you got back 37, and now you're getting a 3% spread on the, on the money you made. That's a pretty good return last time I checked. And you get to go use a boat every once in a while. How you doing? I love America. It's been so very, very good to me. My yes, dad right. thinks I'm a drug dealer. My dad yeah. back home, he doesn't understand. He goes, yeah. what do you do, David? I'm in real estate. He says, you're not dealing drugs, are you, boy? I said, no, dad, I promise you it's all well, real estate. You know, there was a couple of years ago that you, when, when if you would have answered yes, your dad would have said, oh, thank God. I thought you were still in real estate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. You remember in 08, 09, oh. people used to say, what do you do? I said, I'm a real estate investor. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry, they like give you a hug. 
Yeah, yeah. Here's ten bucks. I feel bad for what's going on. Right? Ten bucks. Can I get a yeah. cup of coffee and a cigarette? Yeah, it was crazy yeah. times. Yeah, I love so, it. I love the conversation, man. I do. You know, and and that's what that's what I love about this podcast, and this is why I created it so that I could connect with with people that like you that have a vision for what they can do that are want, willing to help educate people. You know, when I when I first started syndicating, I used to think that I was begging people for money, but then I realized that I oh. have. I have the ability to help people understand how to invest, number one, help them do it well, number two, and create something for them that they have no ability to create in their life, right? When, and you, when you, you understand that when too. You see, yeah, dude. Look, man, when you see the light go off, classic example, plastic surgeon, uh, sorry, um, dermatologist, New York City, creates a skin cream line. PE comes in pre-COVID, says, I'll give you 90 million for your skin cream line. He's like, done. Yeah. COVID comes. I'm glad COVID he thought comes, about that. <laughs> they say, it's not 90 anymore. It's 60 million. He goes, done. So I start communicating with him after this point. I said to him, I said, what was your tax uh, exposure? What did you use for sheltering that, that income? As I'm on this call right now, he goes, what does that mean? Yeah. I yeah. go, what? He goes, I wrote a check for 30 million to the IRS on the 60 million that I took in. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my head. Oh my head. Yeah. I could have showed yeah. him deferred sales trust. I could have right. showed him a Delaware trust. There's like right. so many, so many things out there. Plus segregation. You, you know, Plus yeah. Seg. Yeah. Appreciation 27 yeah. and a half years, year one. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. How would you like a K1 to give you a write-off bigger than your actual uh, um, you know, yeah. uh, contribution into an asset? Yeah. Absolutely. Not for everybody. You know, I'm not your accountant. I'm not your attorney. No, I'm we not don't give financial advice, advice. But if you're looking for trouble, we'll help you with that, right? But, yeah. but and, and you know, that's what's, that's what's great, Dave. I'm sure you have one. I've got great people behind me that I come up with yeah, these yeah, ideas. Yeah. I put yeah, them on yeah. paper. I send them off to the right people that look at it. They go through the tax yeah, code. Yeah. They do all this stuff, and they make the right decisions for us, right? Yeah. But there are. There are so many ways to do it. I, I heard a guy, uh, he told me this uh 18 years ago, 19 years ago, he says, it doesn't matter how much you make. It's how much you keep, keep. from the IRS, right? Yeah. And, and that last bit is the most important part because if you're constantly in partnership with somebody that's taking 37% and never producing anything, yeah. you're in the worst position in the world. Sure, so sure. positioning sure. yourself to have that reality of, of getting, having your wealth grow for you is great, but then having protected wealth is even better. The day I found out that I could create a self-directed retirement account. Mm -hmm. I was I was livid. I was so angry at the the the, the crap that I had been spoon-fed generationally. Right? right, right. Max out your 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 four hundred one ks. Max them out. Max max everything. Max. It's free money. You know, like all the all the crap that they delivered. And the day that I figured out I could take my own money. I'm working at almost a quadruple rate of return than right. it was working with somebody else in control of it. Right. That was the day I said, it's on like Donkey Kong. Forget about it. Let's go, baby, go. You know? Well, and the other thing too, though, you know, we all buy the marketing, right? It's, I mean, it's not sure. really about a, accounting. Sure. It's about marketing. And this is another thing that I think a lot of people do. This is the time of year that people are praying to their accountant God. They're, they're calling them up and they're going, oh my God, you got to save me. I made a yeah. boatload last year. Yeah. You know, tax planning is called tax planning for a reason. It's planning right. on how not to pay the taxes. Then if you get into this world after January, it's called tax prep because the, the cake is cooked. 
You know, yeah. there's nothing to yeah. change here. But yeah. what people also believe is they believe it's their accountant's job to teach them how to save money on taxes. And it's not. It's their job. There are so many resources that are out there and available for people to be able to get that accounting information that they need. There's all kinds of books. There's all kinds of classes. But the reality is, is accountants organize your financial data into certain boxes that the IRS wants to see. Mm -hmm. And people forget that. So it's up to you to understand that. And when you do, Dave, like you do, you have the power to go and explode because you're doing things in a tax preferred way. It's not tax avoidance. Right. It's not, you're not scamming anybody. You're taking right. the rules and using them the way the IRS wants you to, to create the best financial future for yourself based on your set of facts and scenarios. There are two outlooks, basically. And we, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but there are, there's consumers and then there's entrepreneurs, right? right. There's investors and then there's savers. Right. There's the guy who's watching the commercials right now. Free, 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 free. They're talking about H&R Block. There's a little yeah, green booth yeah. that just got set up in the mall. Yeah. And there's somebody sitting in there with 15 hours of tax analysis training. Right. Who is ready to take your, your, you know, your, your, um, your, your 1099 or whatever it is from your, from your employer, right? Yep. Um, they're not all created equal, right? There's no. the consumer mindset, the entrepreneurial mindset. Right. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know how it is for you. I'm assuming it's the same. You know, my high net worth investors, my doctors, lawyers, accountants, attorneys, um, <clears throat> bankers, business owners, they don't even understand what we understand as, oh. as, as syndicators and investors in large commercial. But if it's, you look uh, at the way those guys, me. yeah, but if you look at the way those guys were, were raised, if you will, in, the, in, the, in their field, they, they got really good at doing one thing really well. Sure and then they were then they were shown, hey, you need this, and then you need this, and then the the, the drug yeah. rep's going to come by, and then yeah. this guy's going to come by, and here's your yeah. insurance guy, and they have this picture, and they look at all these guys, and they look at them like that guy that's selling them this product is going to look out for their best interest, and that's just entirely not true. Yeah. And so they yeah. they stop at that point, self educating to go, hey, you know what? This is what I think we ought to do, right? Mm. What mm. what does this idea do for me? You know, I, I remembered somebody that, that came to me. We talked about a scenario. They went and talked to their accountant, and I said, so how'd it go? And they go, oh. my accountant said, of course you can do that. And they were like, well, why didn't you tell me? And, and they looked at him, and they said, well, I'm your accountant. Right. 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 Like like the miscommunication was there the whole time, and the accountant sure. was looking for them. Well, it's your life. You direct it. Right? Yeah. And yeah. it's so funny how people get that confused. And, it's and taking it, and, responsibility. It's taking yeah, responsibility, yeah. brother. It's yeah. accountability. It's a dirty word, right? Well, and it's yours. It's your yeah. life. Yeah. You know, you take responsibility for it, take accountability for it. You're going to have a hell of a lot more fun. You're going to enjoy it a lot more when you do those things. Mm. So, mm. Dave, what a great conversation, man. I could go on and on. What I, what I want to wrap up with, those. where do people find you other than Coral Beach, Florida, and Boston at the wrong time of the year? <laughs> Hey, look, man, I'm, I'm old school. You can actually call me, 781-922-4418. Um, we'll put that in the meeting, or we'll put that in the podcast notes and call Dave. Uh, Only between yeah. 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. That's when he takes call. That's when you get the little moon the little moon signal on the iPhone. It's, yeah. It's, it's right there. Yeah. I'm yeah. available. Look, man, Dave, Dave Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. You can find me on LinkedIn and all of that silly stuff. Uh, freedomventure.com is probably the best place to go. See what we do. Uh, get through the education first. If yeah. you've never, if you've never syndicated, if you've never been a passive investor, 
Um, you know, you can't, I, I'm not going to take your money unless you know what the hell's going on. And right. I know you're cut from the same cloth. Yep. Let's build a relationship, get to know each other. Co-GP with my new friend, Shannon, right? Like yep. we can, we can create a lot of fantastic opportunities with our knowledge base and we create yeah. a lot of trouble and have fun doing it at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? That's, right. that's, that's how right. I like to go. That's so right. If you want to find me, you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I uh, appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for being with us today, and thank you, Dave, for making this a lively conversation. And if you guys want to tune into The Real Estate Rundown, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to The Real Estate Rundown on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts to get your automatic updates. Click the little bell. You know how it works. You'll also find us on Instagram and YouTube. Leave us a reply or a review and a comment. I'd love to see who you want to see on the show next and your comments about Dave and I's conversation, right? So, guys, thanks again for joining The Real Estate Rundown. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you later, Dave. See you, brother. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnet.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode. Amen.